one on this beautiful June morning. It's summer is, even though it's not officially summer, summer has arrived. It's, it's beautiful out there. It is really beautiful. I, uh, boy, I appreciate the words of some of these old hymns. I'll tell you, the, the, the rich theology in, in, in them, they're beautiful. They really are. I thank that. And it's, it is, I think it's wonderful to have all three Camelonis back playing there in the band. They are a blessing. I was thinking of the Von Trapp family when I think of them. The Von Camelonis over here, all right. Uh, this morning, I was supposed to preach from 1 John. Uh, the board had asked me if I would do a series for six or eight weeks, maybe take a book. And I was going to preach from 1 John, but uh, I started Monday, and uh, I had to turn, make a mid-course correction. So uh, this morning, if you would turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, the main text of what I'll be speaking about today for a starter is Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. But I'm going to read from verse 1, just to, for us to get the context of what it's in here. And I confess, I usually don't dress down when I speak so much, but uh, to be quite honest with the congregation, I uh, had to retire last year because of my back. I have spinal stenosis, and it's just gotten to the point where I couldn't do I had a physical job. And so I, I couldn't continue it any longer. And uh, so what I've done is I've probably about 10% of the physical activity I used to get because I'm limited now what I can do. But my food intake has remained the same. So eventually you start to gain weight. And my jacket doesn't fit anymore, my shirts. And so I just said, I'm going to have to do the best I can here. So... Uh, yeah, I hope it's not a distraction this morning to anyone that I'm dressed like this. If you are having a real problem that I'm not in a jacket and tie, uh, I will remember to pray for you that the Lord forgives your sinful, wicked, judgmental hearts. So, so it's no problem. I'll, you're covered with prayer if you are struggling looking at me right now in this condition. So, <laughs> all right. Speaking of condition, I don't know about you, but I need prayer. So let's, if you would pray with me, please. Lord, we know that with your word comes, the Holy Spirit must come to make those words alive and to speak in our hearts. Lord, I can remember when I was an unbeliever and I would read those words. They, I didn't comprehend them. But Lord, once your Spirit comes in us, when we're born again, they're different. They're words of life. And it's because of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray for your supernatural intervention, Lord. As we pray always, Lord, because we need you to intervene. We are not capable of handling, I am not capable of handling this word without the Spirit. And Lord, 
neither is the congregation without the spirit to hear and to take that in, Lord. I pray that all of our hearts now would be good soil, that the seeds would, would fall in there deeply, Lord, and produce 30, 60, 100 times fold. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. This is Luke's second book, and he comes and he writes now to that fellow Theophilus again, that man that he had written his first book about, two, four. Uh, and he begins by saying, in my former book, that's the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day was, he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. For you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus first says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then he says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the ends of the world. The message, by the way, today is called, Whatever Happened to Jerusalem? We as a church are fulfilling a lot of God's commands. We, uh, we are definitely going throughout all the world. We're fulfilling that part of his command. We are in several different countries you know, we've just, in fact, the nobles were just here and had been in Sudan for, I mean, some dangerous places. The Schwams are over in, uh, uh, I can't think. Thank you, Bangladesh. Yes. And we have, uh, you know, the uh, Nielsen's in Japan and all these places. And that's good. We're fulfilling that command that Jesus gave. And by the way, if you don't think it's a command, Look at Acts 10.42 when you get a chance. Peter makes it clear that the Lord commanded them to do what they're doing here. It, it reinforces, because sometimes people look at this and say, well, maybe, maybe Jesus was just saying, as a matter of fact, you know, you're going to be my witness. No, it's a command. I won't even go there to save time. Acts 10.42, you can look it up. And Peter says that we were commanded by Jesus to do this when he talks to Cornelius. So anyway... 
That's a good thing. And then when we look at the idea of Samaria, well, I'm going to call Samaria the United States, where we're supporting missionaries in Maine and Philadelphia and New Jersey and places like that. That's a good thing. We're supposed to do that. And then we have missionaries, I'm going to say, in Judea. And what I'll call Judea is Long Island. We have the Robs, Larry Robb, and, you know, the, working with the youth, wonderful ministry for Christ. And uh, we support the uh, pregnancy center, the life center. Wonderful ministry where they not only are saving the unborn, but then they're, they're leading women to a relationship with Jesus Christ and discipling them. They stay with them after they have their baby and they disciple them. And that's a good thing. But my question to us is, what ever happened to Jerusalem? What ever happened to the part that says, you will be my witness in Jerusalem? Lake Grove, I'm going to call Jerusalem. How have we been a witness to Lake Grove? Now, you might, I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm not trying to be negative because I've been in this church for 15 years. I'm a part of the congregation. So I ask myself that question. Whatever happened to Jerusalem? Whatever happened to Lake Grove? Somehow, We've missed it, people. I'm going to be quite honest. That's my opinion. But when I look at the scriptures and I think about how we should be impacting this company, this uh, city. A couple years ago, a good friend of mine said, I wonder, very insightful question too, good question. He said, I wonder if... Our church shut its doors tomorrow if Lake Grove would even be aware, if anybody in Lake Grove would know that we were missing, that we were gone. Now, some of you might be feeling defen defensive at the things I'm saying, and I'm taking that chance today because I believe we need to look at this and I'll take the chance that I offend you. We have some nice ministries in our church. We, uh, you know, at Halloween, we give out candy to the kids. That's a nice thing. That's a nice thing we do with the children in the neighborhood. Around Easter time, we, we, have the, we invite the community to come and, and find Easter eggs and candy. For a week every year, we offer them soccer Come and join and, and play soccer for the week with us. We have VBS, you know, which every church basically does do. It's part of our culture right now, our Christian culture. And it's a nice thing. The kids learn about Jesus for the week. And once a year, we have a wonderful, a beautiful event, the ladies' tea. And where, you know, it's a very large event. But what are we doing? 
on a daily basis to reach people that have deep needs in our community. We have a box where we collect clothes for Lighthouse Mission. That's wonderful. And Lighthouse Mission, I think, is a, is a wonderful uh, ministry. It's serving, really trying to spread the love of Christ and meeting needs to people in the name of Christ. But why is it that we collect it and then we give it to somebody else to pass out? We, you know, we're, we're, we're excited, we'll collect the goods and we look how much we gave to Lighthouse. But how is that witnessing to Lake Grove? Why are we not doing that work? Why aren't we? we say, well, it's specialized, you know. You need. The theological term I'm going to use is hogwash. I believe we just don't want to really get too close and have, get too involved with people and their problems. We kind of shy away from people who are in those conditions. After all, they're not like us. You know, they have all kinds of, you know, they're living in, sometimes in poverty, or, and some of them have made really bad mistakes, and we, you know, some of them are, they're dressed, and sometimes they're dirty and even smelly. You know, and, oh, do we really want to make contact with people like that? The people in Lighthouse Mission, they're, they're equipped, they're called to do that. Sometimes I think we, we like to think of a calling. Everybody else has a calling to do ministry, you know, outside of our, in, in, our com, in the community. What is our calling? What have we been called to do? I don't understand it. We're called. Jesus called us. He said that you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. He said, it's beautiful the way Jesus does it. He makes concentric circles. He says, first you start right where your church is, and you be a witness and spread. Then you go a little further. Then you go a little further. Then you go to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth probably, when Jesus said that was more like the Roman Empire, which was huge in those days, and without transportation, you know, took months and months to get across that uh, empire. Somehow, we're missing it. We're not having the contact with the people. We're not really ministering to them. We're going to give it to those who are called to do that type of ministry. Does it really take any gift or talent for us to open our doors and say, here, does this jacket fit? Would you like to come downstairs and have some supper? on Wednesday night or Tuesday night. You know, I do the Bible study and, and prayer group on Wednesday nights. And that's a good thing for the church. But maybe we should take some of our meetings and use it for ministry to the community. You know, maybe we should be trying to feed the hungry you know the facilities we have downstairs? They're remarkable to do that. And of course, we can always get caught. Well, what about the legal? Oh, we've got to be careful legally. You know what? If we worry every moment about legal, we're not going to do ministry 
because it's dangerous. Ministry is dangerous. I remember when I first went on the ministerial staff at the church that I was in, the first day when I, I got my office, the pastor, the senior pastor came in who I was very close with, and he said, bro, he said, I just want to remind you that ministry, he said, it's not like all day long now you're praying and angels are flying over your head and miracles are happening and stuff. He said, ministry is dealing with sinful, broken people like us. And they have problems and they have needs. And we're called to be servants. He said, we're ministers. Minister means to serve, to be a servant, to serve people. I... This has been on my heart for a long time, and I, like I say, so I, maybe this message, if it was, if it was an epistle in the, uh, the New Testament, it might be a letter to the church at Lake Grove, because I really feel we are at a point now, we can look around and see what's happened to our church over the years. This is not something that's just happened in the last six months, this is something over the last couple of decades we've been slowly since I've been here for 15 years I haven't seen one new convert and I know there was one person in question who might have come to the Lord through Christianity Explored well, I talked to that person and they said I was saved before I went to Christianity Explored and Christianity Explored was like a nice program but I feel like what we do when we do have interaction with our community. We're handing out treats. It's more like we have dessert ministries. You know, we, we offer the people little treats or, you know, or we might want to advertise our church and say, okay, we're going to pass out pens at the parade or something. I can't picture Jesus passing out pens. They didn't have, or quilts in his time, you know, here and it says, I save, I save. Or, those, are, those are nice little things. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But that's not the heart of what we're called to do. We're called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest ways we can do that is by showing the love of Christ. That means interacting with people who sometimes stink and sometimes are dirty and they have foul language and they might have emotional problems and they might be, have addictions. But we are capable of that. If we love, if we have love, we can do that. If we have the love of Christ in our heart, we can do these things. I hope we're not waiting around for a savior pastor right now. You know, we're just waiting for that super pastor that's going to come in and then we're going to grow. Is it a matter of growing or is it a matter of ministering to the crowds? Because if we're truly ministering to people, you know what happens? the church will grow. If our goal is we want to make the church big, I'm not saying this this morning to say, if we got to grow, we want to, you know, we want to get people in here. And we want... Wrong motive. Our ministry is not to grow the church. Our ministry is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Let Christ bring the increase in for us. Uh, Turn to, to Mark chapter 2, would you, please? If you want to follow along. If you want to just listen, just listen. 
want to just remind us. These are like such well-worn scriptures. But you know what I'm afraid of? We look at these scriptures and it's like scripture memory. I think lots of times we, we look at a scripture and we memorize it. We go, okay, I got that one now in the bank. Let me memorize the next one. We should memorize it so we chew on it and it, it gets in our bloodstream. It should be part of our life. And then we learn the next scripture. But we, we got to get it inside our blood. You know, it doesn't matter if I know 1,500 scriptures. If I'm not letting them affect my life, it doesn't mean if I'm not living by them. If you would look at verse 13, again, well-worn. You've probably heard a million messages on this. But do we get it? Do we really get it? Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. I, I just got to say something about this, because lots of times, I think we think, you know, Levi was at the booth, and Jesus comes over and says, Levi, follow me. And Le Levi just, you know, drops everything and runs. You notice it says, once again, Jesus went out on the side of the lake and he started teaching. I would say that Levi heard Jesus' message many times and this has been working on him. He's been absorbing and feeding on that word that, that Jesus has been saying and it's been convicting him. And when the one day Jesus finally says, Levi, come follow me. Levi says, you know what? He's convicted. It's time. I need to change. You know? He has that conviction from God. Well, anyway, and I say that because <laughs> I said this on a Wednesday night, and I think I got in trouble, but uh, I always remember the old Jesus movies. And they used to get actors that used to play Jesus as the most flattest, stoic person, or like he's otherworldly, like, you know, he'd be preaching the sermon. I picture Jesus preaching the sermon on the mount with blessed are the poor in spirit. And this, I mean, there's passion he's speaking. He's God. And instead, they, you know, they have the guy who goes, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he's like, you know, this otherworldly Jesus. And then he goes up to Matthew and he says, Matthew, come, follow me. And Matthew gets up like with glassy eyes and walks. It's like so weird. You know, Jesus was a person. He was a vibrant, living person. You know, he, he was God, but he was all man, and he was filled with passion and life, too. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? How could he do that? Those people are dirty. They're disgusting. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's what Jesus' ministry was. You know, I, Carol and I worked in a soup kitchen for a number of years. And Carol was actually there about 14 years. I could only do about three or four with my schedule at work. I couldn't. But no, it's not, it's not always glamorous. 
It's not always nice. People do come in, they're filthy sometimes. Sometimes they're nasty. Sometimes they're, they're just out of it. Sometimes it's a young mother and father who have two, three little children and they're sitting on a Wednesday night in a soup kitchen. Or the Christmas Eve, every Christmas Eve, we'd have a Christmas Eve dinner for these people. And you'd see 50, 60, 70 people come in and sit down in the church at where it was at, at a nice dinner. And you'd look around and you'd see families, little children on Christmas Eve sitting in the soup kitchen. Man, that, if that doesn't move your heart, you know, and I say, so what can we do? What, what can we do with situations like this? Well, I'll, I'll leave that for the church and the leadership to decide that, but we can feed people. We can have soup kitchens. We can have a food pantry. We can have a clothing pantry or closet here to give away to people. We can offer them counseling. I look on, I can't tell you how many times on Saturday mornings, I look at the guys at the end who were there, and I say, this church has so much, I looked at these guys and I say, there's so much talent and gifts and abilities and, and this spiritual men, and there, there's intelligence there and desire and love, and I say, we have everything we need to be the church Christ wants us to be. We should be a living, thriving church, interacting with the community constantly, witnessing, going into Jerusalem here and, and making it real, having the people come serving them. What do you think would happen? Paul, in uh, Colossians 3, verse 12. Paul, in chapter 3 of Colossians, great chapter, he's talking about you know, the rules about how do we live holy? He spends a couple chapters in doctrine and then he goes, like Paul usually does, onto the practical part. He says, what, is the, what does all this doctrine look like when it's lived out? And, you know, it's where he says, you know, set your, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Set your hearts and minds on things above. And he, he goes through that. And he gets to verse 12. And he says, therefore, after saying all those things, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Before I say the rest of the verse, think about that. That's what we are. If you have been saved, if you've been born again, regenerated by the grace of God through Christ, You were chosen by God, he says. He says, therefore, as God's uh, beloved people, therefore, as God's holy people, you know, we're chosen by God. We're loved by God. We have all these beautiful things, he says. And then he says, clothe yourselves. That verb, the Bible always does that, right? Clothe yourselves, you know. Get rid of that old way and put on new. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion. 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's us. That's us. Compassion, kindness, humility. Think about those things. Wow. I mean, that, we don't, we don't always live that. Now, <laughs> I think, do I struggle living those things? Absolutely. And to give you an example, uh, <laughs> about two weeks ago, Carol and I were riding in the car, and there was a line of cars. They were going in the Bald Hill for a concert. And this guy in a big suburban decides he doesn't want to wait on the opposite way. So I'm going along, and he just cuts out and pulls right in front of me, and he makes a three-point turn. And I'm going to be honest with you, it annoyed me. It was like, you know, are you kidding? And I think I, sa I, think I said I, to Carol or something, I said, like, this guy's a real creep. What a creep. You know, and Carol stayed silent. She doesn't say anything. And I go a little further, and he gets to an intersection, and he just decides to stop in the middle of the road and <laughs> like this. I generally, and I'm going to tell you, when somebody doesn't go, or even when they're at a light, even if they're playing with their cell phone, which absolutely gets me angry, it does, I usually wait two or three seconds. I'll sit there and wait. And I, I, I want to be graceful and give them a chance to get their act together. Well, this guy stopped, and I waited about a second. And I did what I almost never do. I usually, if when I do, by the way, when I give him a horn, I give him a sanctified toot. You know, I'll beep. I'll just do that. You know, I mean, it's, that's sanctified. You know, sinful is, you know. But that's, I give him the little toot, just a little sanctified toot. And this time, I'm getting all my anger out now on this guy. And I said something like, this guy is unbelievable. Now I'm mad. And anyway, he starts to go. And my dear wife, <laughs> she, I, she is the voice. She's the voice of the Lord many times. She, when she says to me, do you think you're acting like a Christian? Oh. You just very calmly and, and lovingly, she said, do you think you're acting like a Christian? And I said, no, I'm not. And I just, the conviction, and it was like, oh, God, forgive me. I'm, I've lost it. So, no, I, when I say, you know, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and daily love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and gentleness. No, I don't always exhibit that. I want to. But I fail at times. But in the process, and I'm just thinking, Carol, you know who Carol reminds me of? Remember the, the honeymooners? She reminds me of Alice Cramden when Ralph is going off the stand. She says, I hope you're satisfied, Ralph. And she'll walk in the other room. You know, Car Carol never screams or argues at me or anything. She'll just say something that is so right. It's like a laser, right to my, my, what I'm struggling, you know, dealing with stuff. And it's like, I can't argue with it. I got to say, I need to repent, you know. But she's like Alice Cramden. 
I'm not always like Ralph, so don't, uh, you know. <laughs> but, so anyway, think about this. We're offering clothes to people. We're offering food to people. And they come in this place and they see compassion. They see kindness. They see humility. They see gentleness and patience. What do you think that does to them? Do they get that in the world? Come on, get on the road, walk in a store and see do you see those traits most of the time? Every once in a while is an exception. It's a bright spot. Most of the times, it's very negative and competitive and people are pushing and, you know, they want... It's everybody has their agenda. But if people see the characteristics of Christ and then we share the gospel with them, that's power. Think about what Jesus said. He preaches, he starts preaching the Sermon on the Mount and he gives, he gives the Beatitudes, the characteristics of a Christian. Not what we're supposed to work towards, but what we should be. And, he's, and the first thing that's interesting, he starts with poor in spirit. You know, lack of pride, the emptiness of pride, seeing our condition. But he gets to verse 14 and he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. He says, instead, they put it on its stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. But then he adds, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And what, say, you people are the greatest? I've never met such wonderful people like you. I praise you. No. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's the process. It's letting all light shine out. But I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like we have a bowl. We're under a bowl here right now where Lake Grove can't see that light. I always remember... Thomas Hardy is my favorite no novelist from the uh, Victorian period, English novelist. And he wrote a book called Jude the Obscure. And Jude always wanted to get in the ministry. And for most of his life, he's looking, and there was a city way over, very symbolic, Thomas Hardy would write these things, very symbolic, way in the background, is a city that was so bright. And he always wanted to move toward that city on the hill where that light was to study. And... That's what we should be. We should be a beautiful light here. And to do that, we have to make contact with people. And one way, Jesus, think about when he preached. What did he do afterwards? He saw, he had compassion on the crowds, it says. And he fed them. He gave them material. He put those words with reality, showing the love I mean, why did Jesus make food for people? To show the love of God. To show that God meets needs. To show that God cares about them. We have to do it in real, tangible ways. It's not enough to say to somebody, 
You need Jesus, brother. I picture somebody saying, don't tell me about Jesus. Show me Jesus. I'm hungry right now. Or my life stinks right now. How can we make their life better? You know, and if we can do it in tangible ways and then share the gospel with them. But there has to be both. We just can't, you know, advertise or put in the paper. You know, if we put in the penny saver, say a full page ad, New Village Church, come worship with us. You know what the unsaved in the community can say? Why? Well, what's there for me? Why do I want to go to that little Christian club over there? I don't, I don't have a, I, I don't see any reason. I don't need that. Right now, I'm trying to survive. I just want to know where my next meal is. I just want to know where my clothes, you know, where my next clothes are going to be. Therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe yourself, he says, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I'm afraid that as a church, see, I'm saying the church, but who is the church? Us. And what does Peter say? We're living stones. You know, and we all make up, and Christ is the cornerstone. It's we make the church. We're a living building. We're not this cement and wood. But how are we lighting the community? What light are we really giving? In any, and you know what? Again, when we make our motive, we want the church to grow, we want the church to be bigger, Wrong. That's a bad motive. That's a bad goal. I know you might be saying, why is that a bad goal? Because the goal should be the commission that Jesus said. We want to be witnesses. And how are we his witnesses? Do you remember how verse 8 starts? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's how they were witnesses. Think, he had un uneducated fishermen and all sorts of guys, you know, a, a, a corrupt tax collector. And he had a zealot. He had all kinds of people. And yet, how did he get all that work done? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's our connection with God, people. I think why we're lacking is because as individuals, if I were to ask you, when is the last time you had a conversation with somebody who is an unbeliever, who is, his, is not a believer, but an unbeliever, who is a neighbor, even somebody you, you deal with every day, like you go for your coffee and you have conversations with them? I know Mike Stolacci used to call me up at 6.30 in the morning and we'd talk. He'd just tell me about how he was witnessing to this Muslim guard, you know, this guy who was into a whole other religion. But he'd, he'd bring up the subject of Christ and they'd talk. That's our mission field there, outside of the church. But as a church, we should be doing that with Lake Grove. Again, we need to offer people something that's tangible, that they feel they need. If you, say, if you invite people to church, it's like, why do I need Jesus? I need a better job. I need more free time. I need more entertainment. I need to, re to, to just relax more. You know, I don't need to come to church. 
the connection. It's a disconnect. But when they see a loving people loving them, it makes them wonder. And when we can let them know why we have them here. I, and that's the thing. We never want to be deceitful. We always want to let people know why we're doing what we do. We want to meet your needs. Ultimately, I hope, you know, as we meet your physical needs, one day you'll know that God can fill that deep need in you, that deeper need. I always used to, when I had the youth center, I always used to tell the kids, because we had a youth center, and it was a, the building next to the church, and through a long process, I convinced the church to stop renting it to a nursery school and start renting it for ministry like that. And at, at some point when we used to get all kids from the neighborhood coming in, and I always used to make it a point to tell them, guys, I want to tell you, and when we used to go to the gym for basketball too, guys, I want to tell you, I want you to have a great time here. But I hope that your visit here is more than just having fun because I have a purpose. My ultimate goal is I'd love to, I want you to have a good time, but I want you to know Jesus so you can know life. And I mean, this is, we, we have to be open and honest. Uh, my time is up, I believe, and I have more to say, but I'm going to say that's another story for another time. And uh, I hope we'll, we'll consider, tonight we have our annual meeting. I hope as we read our mission statement and we look at the year in review, we start looking at the future and think about where do we want to go? Do we want to be witnesses for Christ as a, individuals and as a church? Or do we want to just continue as we are and think something's going to happen? Remember the definition of insanity. It's doing the same things over and over and expecting something different to happen. Sometimes I feel like we're in this mode. We keep doing the same things over and over, but we're expecting something to happen differently. I think God's waiting for us to do something. For us to do something. To be his hands. To be his mouthpiece. To comfort in his name. You know, to relieve people of their, their struggles in his name. I've said enough. I will, uh, I'd just like to pray and then we'll continue. Father, I pray that you would forgive us as individuals and as a church for our lack of obedience to your commands. Forgive us, Lord, for sometimes just letting things continue along without thinking about advancing your kingdom, Lord. I pray you would, Lord, give us revival in our hearts and in our church so that we would be a place of ministry for Lake Grove, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless these things now. Give us the power. Give us the desire, Lord. It has to come from you, Lord, only. 
That's why I pray for revival, that you revive our hearts and our desire to serve you and to love you and then experience the blessings and watch as you bless our obedience. We love you, Jesus. I pray we would learn to love you more perfectly. We would learn to love each other more perfectly. And we would learn to love all the people around us, outside of the church, more perfectly. It's in your name I pray. Amen.